0: I'm Stephanie Hammond, and this is the Fruition Podcast. On this show, I sit down with passionate people who've brought their dreams to fruition. We'll explore different versions of success and fulfillment and dig into what was on their mind along the way. With these conversations, I hope we can all expand our sense of possibility. And who knows, maybe hearing their stories will inspire you to take action on yours. Hey team! Welcome back for a really inspiring episode with Joey McCoon, the owner of Sound Healing Tulum, which is a ridiculously gorgeous property where Joey hosts traditional healing ceremonies from sound baths to cacao ceremonies to spiritual cleansing to massage to cenote floats. They do everything. And they also customize. I'll reshare some of their posts so that you can see how insane this place is and learn more. It's It's so pretty. I can't even believe it's real. I love this episode because it encapsulates, 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 Mm, you get what I mean, the whole point of this podcast. At one point, she says, what my ideas and dreams were, I didn't pay attention to. I just ended up pushing through and going and I got a good degree, which by the way, was math, wild when you get to know her. Later in her life, she reclaimed her ideas and dreams. And while her path was perfect and exactly what it was supposed to be, I just want to encourage you all to pay attention to what boxes you might be focused on checking off and assess whether those align with your ideas and dreams or maybe if they're someone else's. Beyond that, we hit on spiritual awakenings, manifestation, how to live in the ethers, but also in our 3D world. I'm pretty woo-woo, so this was a fun one for me. Um, My current obsession is my Wildling Beauty Empress Stone and Empress Wand. I carry so much tension in my jaw, so I use the wand to dig into my jaw muscles and the Empress Stone to then sculpt the rest of my face, my neck, my chest. The release that I get from the back of my neck is wild. It's honestly so, so calming and so soothing. My last Gua sha broke very easily, so I wanted something strong. And these are made with buy stone, which is really strong, but it's also made up of a bunch of minerals that are known for their healing properties. So you're doing triple duty. You're sculpting, you're relieving tension, and you're healing. And we love multitasking. It's just honestly a really calming practice for me. So I wanted to share it with you. I'll link it in the show notes and also tag it in my Instagram, which is path to fruition. So go take a look and let me know what you think of the episode. Have a good day. Hello, Joey. Welcome to the fruition podcast. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. How are you? Where are you?
1: Oh, it's so nice to be here. I really, really appreciate the invite. I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, I am in Seattle right now, actually. I, I left the jungle in Tulum for a little while. So uh, probably why we have clear audio.
0: <laughs> yeah. You said that you're not that close to the ocean, but so you're we like, are, deep in the jungle. We're about five miles
1: into the jungle wow. and we're off grid. So we have to have a tower and the dish and everything. And it's it's common knowledge that Wi Fi is awful in Mexico, anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but
0: it, somehow we get by. Yeah. <laughs> <Patience>. <laughs> Honestly, kind of nice to have the excuse. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. That would be my perspective. Like, oh, my Wi Fi's out. So sorry, can't chat. Yes. Does it feel like you're off
1: grid? Well, it's funny because oftentimes when I say I live off grid, I think people think we're like Swiss Family Robinson in a treehouse or something, right? But no, we have a really beautiful, luxurious home. Uh, it's, you would never know that it's off grid, and wow. and the setting itself is is really wild because we're in the jungle. But um, but is we have every convenience that you need in the house. In fact, one time we had a hurricane. We had three hurricanes in two weeks, and um, little <laughs> whoa, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot, and I realized, oh my gosh, I can be cooking dinner while this is happening because. Everything is, you know, we have, we have solar energy and everything. So oh everything gosh. was still working. I mean, I was on the phone talking to the kids.
0: <laughs> was it like high winds? Were you, was there debris flying into the windows oh while you're gosh. like cooking a bolognese?
1: What was well, happening? let's just say I'm a Pacific Northwesterner, right? We do not have hurricanes here. And when we look to live internationally, we didn't, we said, you know, when was the last time a hurricane was in the Tulum area? And it was almost 20 years ago. It's very rare. Wow. You don't get them very often. Yeah. Come to find out once we own the house that and <laughs> live there that we're actually in kind of what's considered Hurricane Alley. So our, our thorough research didn't really pan out for us in this situation. Um, our house is floor to ceiling glass. So we only have one side that's wall. And so you feel like you're in the jungle, you're really in the jungle, right? Because the jungle's coming inside, basically, right? And um, we have these huge eaves that go over the out, it's kind of a mid century. And so there is no way to actually hurricane proof our home. Um, The glass is supposed to be, you know, up to rated for up to like 270 mile an hour winds or something.
0: Well, I know that you grew up here in the Pacific Northwest. Like you said, we know each other through our sisters, but you grew up quite a a ways out of Seattle in Squim. Many people don't know where Squim is. So can you kind of paint a picture of what it's like there? It could not be further from the tropics of Mexico, (laughs) the middle of the jungle, like could not be more drastically different.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, when I grew up in Squim, <laughs> I think there are only 4,000 people in our town. It's wow. a small farming town that's set on the ocean, and we're right across from Victoria, BC. We have rivers and lakes, and then we have the Olympic Mountains in the back, um, and basically our backyard. So it's like a portal into um, the rainforest and all of that beautiful space.
0: What did your parents do? Did they farm then?
1: My dad was a chiropractor, and he was sort of on the forefront of holistic healing, so he had massage therapists and other kinds of therapists in his office this is long before that was a thing you know and um you know really into vitamins and you know growing gardens and all that kind of stuff and my mom was my mom worked at his office with him and then he got into land development and real estate and mm. to make money in different ways but i grew up with really entrepreneurial parents and so it was go, go, go all the time and risk it all and make it. And I mean, they would buy a thousand acres and he'd be counting trees and I would have to learn how to count trees with him and how's this going to be subdivided and what are you going to do? And we have to replant here and we have to do this so it's good for the environment. And, you know, like we always, we just learned our business, how you're going to make money on any given situation. And we were being trained right there by our dad. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah, it was fun. And, you know, I was in a small town, so not everybody's like that. That's not the mentality. But I will give it to my parents. It was just never even questioned. They were just going to put their mind to something and do it. And so I think that is where I get that from. You know, Mm -hmm. I just never – I think I have ideas and I just – go with that idea. And I don't even think that it's going to fail or that it's not going to work. Or I don't think that maybe that's not going to be able to financially, you know, hold me. (laughs) I just go in Mm -hmm. believing it's going to happen and that it's going to work out and I see the success. And so in a sense, I've grown up with learning how to form intent and activating that and creating and manifesting what I'm going to do. And so I think that just happened from a small age, not even realizing that's what I was doing. And now I see that that's what I'm doing, and I understand that and I own that. And so a lot of people are like, You're, you know, how so many people talk about moving internationally and making these huge life changes. You know, how, you know, how did you not know you're going to fail? And, and my answer is always, I didn't know, but I never even gave that a thought. I never even considered that it could be a failure, that I would be ruining my life in any way. Like, (laughs) I just went for it. And, once I made my mind up, I didn't think, "Oh, I'm going to live in lack." I set my intent, and then I manifested what I needed. I also think that a lot of people are like, "Oh, I want to manifest wealth and I want I need all this money and I need to live in flow." Well, sure you can ask for those things, and that's but it's not necessarily going to come back to you unless you are in service in some way and and have gratitude for it, right? Like I think that the secret to setting your intent and manifesting and living in flow like that or living in abundance is Is that not only are you recognizing that you don't need to live in lack, but you are grateful for what's happening. You see that. You're open to it. You're receiving it. But then you're giving back. So that is how. And I think that I'm really fortunate that that just happened naturally for me in my life. And then I realized later that that was this golden key. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And
1: that I didn't have to learn the hard way. You flow in and out of that. And then you realize when you're in flow and when that's actually happening. And sometimes you need to reset your mindset and everything. But
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. And But as you continue to enter that frame of mind, you learn what's happening within your own thoughts to get you in that state or what brings you out of that state and you can kind of get better at it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So do you feel like your parents had that same mentality, that same sort of mindset, that abundance mindset? Do you think that you developed a, a mindset kind of one level beyond theirs by witnessing just their kind of like blind courage?
1: I think both. Mm-hmm. I think that absolutely my dad was like, I'm not happy with the amount of money I'm making. I got to put three girls through college and have three weddings and three whatever and take family vacations and try to save some money on the side and try to live without working. He was seeing a hundred patients a day in his chiropractic clinic. I mean, we're from, it's a mill town in Port Angeles. So a lot of mill workers would be injured and come in. And I mean, he was like, insanely busy and popular and people came from Seattle to see him and stuff. He wow. was amazing. He started getting arthritis in his hands. And I think that's why he retired and he realized he needed to have other forms of income, but he was just a go-getter. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, he would work, he would leave the house at six in the morning and be home at like eight at night. And he'd be adjusting horses and dogs and pigs and all sorts of things for people that had injured animals. And then after work with all the people. And then he's like, okay, I walked some land. I'm going to see if I can buy this. I'm going to go knock on the door and talk to this, you know, older couple and see if they're interested. And, you know, he just always had this business mindset. And luckily my mom backed him on that. Right. Because I think it's hard when you're married and you don't have both people, you know, I think she saw that he knew, knew what he was doing all the time. And he just blindly went in and made these deals and he didn't know about logging. And then he learned all about it. And he was a, massive landowner in Washington state at one point and doing it sustainably by the way. And uh, you know, then he would be doing developing and all these things. So yes, blindly he went in and there was never a, Oh, I might lose all the money I just took from our family to put into this and create more with it. Right. He was always creating more wealth by, by leveraging his wealth. And that, you know, there was stress for sure, but he just believed he was going to do it. And he, that was the key. And so he did. And, and I think the only thing that I would never say I'm better than my parents because that's not what we mean to say when we say that. But I think I've made one improvement that they didn't have where I think that my dad always says, the only tip I ever got was work hard for your money. And I always say, well, okay, true, dad, you have to work hard for your money. But that doesn't mean all you have to do is work, right? Mm-hmm. So he's in that mindset where you just work, 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 work and grind and rarely took the time to enjoy enjoy life. And I think they're finally in their seventies at the stage where they're starting to do that a little bit, but they could have done it earlier, but they were in such a mindset of work, 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 work. And I fell from that. I decided I made a shift in my life at one point that they never did. And that's okay. Maybe that just wasn't their journey, but I was not going to live like that. I saw how tired they were all the time. And I was seeing that I was going in their footsteps doing the exact same thing. So I I made a shift out of that, which most, most would say is crazy.
0: Yeah, well, I think, too, we've evolved collectively to understand that you need to rest your body and your mind to enter a, like a more creative space to allow yourself to calm down enough to tap into that. And that, in turn, even though you're not intentionally doing so, maybe you are, but that leads to more Creativity and maybe more productivity and more abundance because you are able to receive ideas that you might not have acted on if you weren't allowing yourself to relax and calm your system to open yourself to that. And I don't, I mean, at least in speaking to like my parents or hearing, remembering conversations I had with my grandparents, there was never like rest was very very much discouraged. It was not an honorable thing. It was not like, you should be ashamed if you need more rest, or if you ask for rest, you would never ask for rest. So I I hope that this is kind of a collective shift towards recognizing the importance of that.
1: Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. 100%. Yeah.
0: yeah. So at what point did you decide to leave the small town of Squim and move to Seattle? Yeah, so I
1: was a a distance runner. I ran cross country and track Mm -hmm. in high school. And so I ended up with scholarship offers all over the place. And, you know, most people in these small towns, several of my friends went to college, but certainly not everyone goes to college. It's not a, I remember when I told my grandma I was going to college, she said, now, why in the world would you want to do that? That was her, her actual statement to me. And I said, well, <laughs> I mean, grandma, it's, you know, it's going to advance myself. But I mean, she just didn't understand that it wasn't yeah. in her makeup, bless her heart. But anyway, I left and my mom was always a big pusher of that. She was like, "Listen, I stayed in my in a small town. I've had to work really hard. I want you to have opportunities in your life. So we're working hard to give you these opportunities so we expect you to do that. And my mom didn't go to college. My dad did. Um my mom had me at 20. So she got, like she got married at 17 when she first graduated from high school. So, so you can imagine like she had a kid this whole time, right? Mm-hmm. And so I knew I was going to go to college. I just didn't know where I was going to go. And there wasn't a lot of guidance. I went to Seattle Pacific University is where I went. And, um, you know, it was, wasn't was probably, in retrospect, really wasn't a school I probably should have chosen. But my coach was a four-time world champion and wow. won the Olympics in cross country and track. She's really famous. So I ended up going there to run for her. Um, I turned down University of Washington, which... I should have probably gone to University of Washington, but I probably would have never graduated because I might have gone to sororities and gotten involved in all that and literally partied my ass off. So (laughs) in that sense, it was good. I went to SPU, which is a super strict religious school. And I didn't even realize it was like that until I got there. And I just put my head down and did it, you know, but the sport, the athletic, you know, aspect of it was amazing. So I had a lot of fun and life was good. And I just hung out with all my friends at UW and, you know, still got that big school fun.
0: Did you run all four years then? Were you on the cross country team? Okay. Cross country, indoor track and outdoor track. Yes. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot Um, of running. I'm not a runner. I was a much thinner girl back then. (laughs) (laughs) My knees hurt hearing that, honestly. So did you think that, was there opportunity to run professionally? What did you go to college thinking you might focus on while you were there?
1: Yeah. I was so naive. I was just going to college to go to college. Um, yeah. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be an interior designer because my mom had this girlfriend who helped with our house when it got built. And I was so impressed that she drove an RX-7 and <laughs> she was cool. And she came to the house always in like high fashion. And my dad signed me up for my first semester. I ended up being a math major. I hate math and it, it did <laughs> nothing for me in my life. So I was a math major um, and a marketing minor. I think my dad thought I would maybe go to med school or something, but that was just not in my brain, right? So I think he signed me up for a bunch of hard classes and probably thought she's either going to make it or break it. We're going to see how she's doing this semester, right? And I just kept going. But by the time I got through the first year, I'm like, I just took so many hard classes. I might as well keep going with this because – It's easier than changing course now, right? Right.
0: That's kind of the funny mind trick that you play. I, I mean, I did the same thing for sure, where you take the hardest classes you can, see if you can do it. And then when you can, you're like, I guess I have to keep challenging myself and see how far it can go, even though that might not be what you're interested in at all. It just becomes kind of this like subtle ego chase but you don't know anything about your ego at that point like you're just you're just trying to do your best like you're literally just okay I need to at least in my mind I was like I need to take the hardest classes I can to get like the hardest degree I can to get out of school and get a good job where I can get paid the most so I can support myself
1: Totally. yeah I mean I I had a full red scholarship to University of Hawaii (gasps) and I was like oh my god dude I'm in and really (laughs) I was really into scuba diving and um Marine, like Marine biology. And they had an amazing program there. And I was so excited that I got in and it was going to be completely covered. And my mom was like, no, you are not going to Hawaii. You will major in tanning. Yeah. And, 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 I, and she's right because I know me and yeah. I'm way too much fun to be at a fun school. So like that that is just like, it ended up being a good thing. But, yeah. um, but I think that, you know, what my ideas and dreams were, I didn't pay attention to. I just, ended up pushing through and, and going and I got a good degree and it, it's all great. And then I I realized that I liked fashion and design still. So I ended up in New York City and I went to grad school there for um, design and marketing. And I started working in fashion design instead of, and, and I did some textile design as well. So I was like in both. And then when I graduated, I, I left the textile design part and went into fashion. And that was my first job. And then I just kept working in fashion until I had Emma. And then I was like, yeah, this isn't, this is really fun, but it's not my dream and you don't make any money (laughs) Yeah, unless you're Donna Karen or something,
0: you know, but, um,
1: so it was, it was all good. Um, and then my life quickly shifted and changed at
0: that point, but yeah. yeah. So (laughs) at, at that point, when you had that first job out of college, you actually found something that was a little more aligned than math. I mean, yes. What were you, what was your idea of success at that point? Like you had to make money. You understood that. What kind of messaging were you receiving and, and allowing to take hold of your actions at that point?
1: Well, I have kind of a different outlook on this because I had Emma at 24. So all of a sudden I was a mom. Mm -hmm. And so then the career was going on the wayside. Mm -hmm. I think that I I eventually would have either had my own line that I designed myself and and took and did something with it because I was actually pretty talented and moving in that direction. Um, but I realized right really young when we bought our first house, I was 23 and I designed the whole thing. I was super excited that I was helping friends with their houses that obviously that was something that I was good at. And I really liked doing, I just wasn't being paid for it. So
0: yeah,
1: I think that eventually I would have opened up some sort of design studio, either with clothes or textiles and, and working in homes or, and honestly, I thought at that time it was fashion, but I'm sure it would have shifted into the into the architectural side of things. Yeah, um yeah. so I was married to a lawyer at that time. I'm I'm no longer married to him. I have a new husband of 20 years. So um I was married to a lawyer and we had two kids. And at that point I was staying at home because it wasn't worth working. I wasn't making enough for to cover the nanny. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was that was that was. So I again let my ideas of what I wanted to do go to the side, but I still had fun and and, uh, I mean, I love being a mom, so, yeah. you know, no, no regrets, but, um, but houses and architecture and, um, just decorating has always been like a top thing for me. I really, really enjoy
0: it. Yeah. So it sounds like success was really centered around like survival for this, these children that you were bringing into the world and making sure that they had the best life that they could in the environment that you were raising them in. And then- it sounds like your husband, I mean, a lawyer, very um, like traditional standardized profession. Yes. I feel like there's there's um, like a very a standardized image that goes along with that that means success, making a certain amount of money, having a certain amount of house, living in a certain area, going to certain schools. Is that something that you felt... <laughs> Oh yeah! <laughs> you? I mean, my sister and I talk about this all the time. And you and I have talked about our sisters too, and our differences yep. with our sisters. And so it's something that I kind of personally currently am grappling with where it's like, I've been raised to understand that that means success, that these very specific things are markers of success. And it's so easy to let that influence your life and the choices that you make. And so I'm kind of reevaluating what does it mean to me. But at that point in your life, Was that driving the decisions that you collectively as a family were making?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. let's face it. I met my husband when I was dating him. Um, He was an Ivy League lawyer. He was already a lawyer. He was had gone to the boarding school that you're supposed to go to, gone to the colleges you're supposed to go to. I had a great job, had an amazing, promising future, loved me, adored me. It was a great situation. Married him because I he checked the boxes, right? Like mm-hmm. and and he's an amazing guy, by the way. I have nothing bad to say about him. But um, you know, so we have kids and I'm now staying at home, which was not what I thought I was gonna be doing. I thought that I was gonna have some sort of career, but it made more sense to stay home. And so I was enjoying that. And you know what? I'm blessed. I got to do that. I was young. I got to be a stay-at-home mom who gets to do that, right? I mean, I didn't have to worry about the bills being paid. So, and then we we built a we had a house and then we remodeled it and then we sold the house and then we bought a new house and we completely renovated that and then we got an and so I got to really have fun with all the design and yeah. doing those things and You know, in the meantime, I opened an art studio for children because I had kids and I was doing that and that took off and then I sold that. And so I was keeping my creativity alive. Right. Yeah. And at this time, I was more of I would say my spirituality was more in tune to being a mom. So I was like going to church on Sundays and Mm. doing all the things you're supposed to do when you wear the pearls and the L.L. Bean khakis and the little like, you know, cashmere sweater, Mm. you know, that was I had a bob. I mean, very different. I fell. I into, need to see a picture. Yes, I <laughs> fell into the role of you know the lawyer's wife, and you know everybody was all proud of me because that's what you're supposed to do in life, right? And um, and my husband was in love with me because he always said I was so boho, I was bohemian, I was you know like a free spirit and all of this. But my free spirit squashed hugely when I was married to him, and it wasn't. He didn't do it on purpose, and, and I it's not like I allowed it to be squashed. I think I just was trying to conform and do the things that you think you're supposed to do. And so my first awakening was I'm not happy in this situation. And I can see that even after I've explained that I'm not happy in the situation, it's not going to change because mm-hmm. there's too much playing against me here. And so we ended up divorced and it's okay. And he's a phenomenal father and a great ex-husband. Um, and so then I was like, I now I'm a single mom. And I need to get a job.
0: Yeah, That's <laughs> so scary. What am I going to do? That's really scary. Especially when you had it all. Yeah.
1: Oh, totally. I stepped away from I left all that. Yeah. And I I left that whole world. I mean, I was on the board of the Seattle Rep Theater and, you know, like doing all sorts of stuff. And I had to step out of that once I left that marriage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: At this point, I'm 28.
0: Oh, my gosh. 20, so yeah. Young.
1: Or 29. I mean, I was 29. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm still young. And then I'm like, gosh, I can't like start a fashion design business. I can't start an interior design business. I'm not gonna make any money. Like that's not gonna work for me right now. I need a job. So I went into real estate. And it was funny, it was suggested that I go into real estate. And I thought, well, who's yeah, how does the real estate, you know, I I went to I went to college. Why am I going into real estate? You know? And the person that suggested it said, You have the best personality for this, you'll do a really great job. And so out of I applied for all these jobs in corporate America and and did get a couple of them, got some offers, but it was nothing that was going to be sustainable as a single mom. And I was like, this is I just see the dollar amounts going to stop at a certain point. There's a ceiling and that is not my personality. So I decided to wing it. And it's all it's always if I knew if I knew then what I know now, what I've gone into real estate, hell no, it's a hard job. You yeah. and you have I've gone through a divorce, no family in Seattle. Like you need to know people and be from here and have all these connections. And I somehow did it. Like I, it took off for me. I'm a very fortunate person. I feel so blessed and I built an amazing real estate career. I'm now 52. I will always have my real estate license no matter what, because I've enjoyed it. I think that there became it. So that was my first switch, my first transfer into like okay i'm leaving this section of the world and i'm going into a, a more a more aligned position for me yeah. and i liked making money and my competitiveness came out and i started building that but then i went head to the i went head down nose to the grindstone and worked myself for 20 years i just yeah. was like like work 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 and and i'm like okay this is, and in the meantime i got remarried and i married a, a wonderful man who's um a design build contractor. So we remodeled and renovated really beautiful homes. And did you meet him through work when you were? um, No, through friends. Um, But he, he's like into the design of homes as well. And we had that in common and we really grew spiritually together. We really had an awakening together and yet we were still, you know, we, we would do a lot of um, just personal transformational journeys together. When we would travel, we would take the kids or alone, and, you know, go to Peru and go to the Amazon and go to all these amazing places in the world and and really experience, you know, a different level of, of tourism. Right. Mm-hmm. And and really worked with plant medicines and did a lot of things. And so I had a second awakening
0: <laughs> and, and it well, helped. I have a question about that, because. You At some point, you opened yourself up to things like plant medicine and a different form of tourism. Was it on those initial trips that that you took with him? Or did did that start unfolding for you at the time of the divorce or sometime in between, maybe when you first met him? Or at what point did you start opening yourself to this version of spirituality that wasn't Catholicism and going to church on Sundays?
1: I think it was about the time I got divorced. It started for me. And then when I met Mitch, we just had this in common, but it was where very we were like babies in the spiritual scene, you know, and (laughs) what did it look like at that time? Um, you know, I, I liked crystals Yeah. and, you know, I had Oracle cards that I read and Mm -hmm. yeah, I I stopped going to church because I felt like it was confining and that there was more to it than just, you know, going to church and giving tithing every week, you know, and, and that, you know, there's a more, it doesn't matter if you're in Tibet or if you're in China, if you're in Japan, if you're in Europe or wherever you are, whatever you're, if you're Jewish or whatever, there's something that's similar within every religion that we're yes. all, you know, basing it on. And so I just I was expanding. I started traveling. Um, and so I'd work really hard. And then I would take these amazing vacations. I took the kids everywhere. And just through travel and expanding my mind, it was also heart opening and expanding. And I started I started mountain climbing. And mountain climbing was out being in nature. And I started getting really into doing some high summits all over the world and doing international climbs. And then I started meeting all sorts of different people. And that just helped to spur it, you know, you hear about a book that's yeah really divine and really empowering. And you read that. And so I was a single mom doing that. And then I met Mitch and we, we just really blossomed. And, you know, I started getting friend groups, new friend groups. I got went left a divorce. Right. So yep. now I'm meeting new people and All of a sudden, my hair is long. I don't have the bob anymore. I'm not wearing the pearls. I'm a little, I'm wearing flip flops all the time. Oh, forget the bra. Like, I, you know, like what, there's all sorts of things happening. I'm not a hippie. I'm not that kind of person. I've always been really professional, but I mean, I was, I was definitely just not so uptight. And the, and I remember my mother saying to me like a year and a half after my divorce, she goes, there's my daughter. Oh, yeah. Like she saw, she even saw the change. Right. And, and I didn't even realize that that was happening. And so I was feeling, I think making my own money and really taking off with that and really creating a career for myself was really empowering. Mm -hmm. And that was important because I was young. And Mm -hmm. so then I was, I didn't have, I didn't need somebody else. I could do it myself. So I was really blessed that that took off for me like that. And spirituality started happening um, until, gosh, when was it? I guess it was like 15 years ago when Mitch, Mitch is like, I'd really like to go do ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, let me look into this you know we, we'd been looking into it and i was really scared because i had never done anything like that and it was a really life-changing moment for us when we did that so
0: yeah when you after your divorce was complete and you were moving into real estate and building this life for yourself sometimes when people leave a relationship they think okay now i need to do what i can to get back to that place or have have those same things did, were you thinking in your mind like i want to transform my entire life I know that this isn't working for me and I want to find my thing my place and and build a completely different looking life than what I had before or were you still kind of in that survival mindset of you know alignment and fulfillment are a bit on the back burner because I I still have to support myself I need a job that makes me money and I really need to get work done
1: So both, I think both of those things, obviously I was looking for my purpose Mm -hmm. because I didn't know what that was. And that's always what everybody says. Now that I work in healing, first thing people say is I'm looking for my purpose and I want to slap everyone upside the head because the truth is maybe your purpose was just that you opened the door for somebody the other day and you made their day and it's not about you. You don't have to have your ego so big that you need to be such an amazing human because we're all together in this, Right. And so, but I was one of those people too. And I, so I have understanding and love and empathy and compassion for that because I've been there and I was looking for what is my purpose? What what do I need to do? But also I need to feed the kids. I can't be a loser. I just left a right. lawyer that, you know, is an Ivy league dude that was making great money and I walked away from all that. So I better try to figure out how I'm going to not make my kids suffer in this situation. And so maintain I think both, their
0: lifestyle and yeah. your own, I'm sure you liked certain yeah. nice absolutely. things. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So there was that working hard, but then I would play hard. And on the play hard, it was always something spiritual for the most part. It started with, let's go to Africa and then, okay, let's go to, you know, let's, we were skiing and doing all that kind of stuff, but then it turned into like, let's start doing these other kinds of trips and, and really learning about, you know, I started studying shamanism. I started, you know, all sorts of weird things happening in my life. Right. I got into sound bowls and, um, mm-hmm. At this point now I'm married, I'm remarried. It was a few years later and I got remarried to Mitch and um, we just, it was a beautiful, a beautiful growth to expand in a spiritual way together with someone. I'm really fortunate. Like I think that most people don't have this opportunity and we both were real babies in it and we just had these awakenings happening together. And that was really powerful because then it's almost like you're unstoppable yeah. You don't realize the power that is when one person thinks this way. But when you have two person, two people that are really connected and their mm-hmm. third eye is open and they're cosmically connected and they're consciously connected and their hearts are expanded and you are just in this beautiful space of flow together, then all of a sudden everything's aligning for you and you realize what flow is and what alignment is. And I I also at about this time was making the most money I've ever made in my life routinely. And I, I don't, I never want, how do I explain this? It came to my attention when I was invited. I was a top producer agent here in Seattle, actually in the Northwest. So I was invited to be on a panel and talk to like a thousand agents who paid to come to this thing and they wanted to learn how to make more money. And I'd written a couple books now and I had, I realized in my spiritual way that money is energy and I was teaching that. I was, I walk up there and I'm like the 10th speaker and there's like 12 of us. And every speaker gets up there and they're like showing how the money that they've made, how many houses they've sold or units and all their, you know, it's like a brag thing when you get up there and they talk all about all your highlights. And then, and I realized that they all had like eight or nine people working for them. And then it was my turn and I was tapping out all these numbers, the same as them, but it was just me. I was working wow. so hard all by myself and I didn't have a team. I didn't have an assistant. I had nothing. I was just a power agent and it was exhausting. And I was getting burned out. And so I came home and I was like, wow, what am I doing? Like I could this this needs to be easier. Like it's been fun, but I'm done with that now. Like I need to do something else. So that's when I started shifting my life. And I hired an assistant who later became my partner, which is how I do real estate from Mexico now. Um, and I and I still have it going. I then opened an office and um Had had agents. We were up to like sixteen at one point. Now it's a smaller office, Um, but it is. It was a. Things started shifting for me. I I realized that I didn't have to do, do it all alone. That was you know I kept thinking I needed to make money, and then I realized at that moment, why am I doing this? You know, like it's I'm I'm on the hamster wheel right now, and I can't get off of it. And so, it was a a major a major realization, and I. I looked at my husband. I rolled over in bed one morning, and I, I said, "I've been up all night. Our last kid is finishing college, and we've done we've done all the things we were supposed to do. We put them through private school. They went to private universities. <laughs> it's paid for. They're launched. They have jobs. They're going out into the world. And I think we can. We don't need to do this anymore." Mm. And Mitch was equally burned out as me, so we made the decision to move at that point. And be in service because I was (laughs) silly me, you know, I was a sound healer on the side that I really loved. And it was like this remembrance in my soul. And I was working with this beautiful healing energy and it kind of, I was allowed to bring in my Reiki, my shamanic work and all of my light work and energy work into the bowls because I could infuse that into the vibration and frequency that I'm working with for others. And so I just did it for free out of my home for a really long time. And then it grew into having friends come over and then dinner parties. And I'm like, oh, everybody lay down. Let me give you a sound bath. It was before sound baths were even a thing. And this is long before the trend is happening now. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, um, people are like, oh, can I bring some friends over? We'll pay you. And I'm like, okay. And so I'm doing this on the side. And now I have a full like sound temple in my house. And I'm doing this all the time. And I'm super busy with it. And. I realized that I was enjoying it and it was, it was the being in service part of it that I really liked. It wasn't the money because I wasn't making so much money doing it. It was just more of a, I love doing this. So when I looked at Mitch, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I've been told like through just, I can't stop thinking about it. I'm channeling this. I need to go build a sound temple. Let's do this. Like, what are we, like, let's just go, let's move internationally. We've traveled all over the world together. We've always talked about moving like, let's do this. Then he said, okay. And it was like, okay, two people were coming together and saying, let's sell it all. So that's what we did. Wow. We put his business on the, on the market. And we were like, if this sells, it's a sign. Because no one buys a design build business. And a month and a half in, we sold it. You know, we had the comfortable 401k. We had the savings. We had the vacation houses and the investment properties. We, most of our money was in real estate because that's I learned that growing up.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. So it sounds like you did the sound healing on the side because it was something that you were learning and discovering and exploring within yourself. And it felt good, but it wasn't enough to offset that exhaustion of being on the hamster wheel. Like you really couldn't have lived this kind of double life for much longer, it sounds like. And I understand why you had to be on the hamster wheel for all those years and you were raising children and providing them the best life you possibly could do you think looking back you could have skipped the hamster wheel entirely had you kind of poured your energy into sound healing just energetically spiritually i think that oh, absolutely. you're so far beyond me like i just do you think that you could have raised a family or had um, a lifestyle that you still felt good about and supported oh, yourself doing no. the sound healing at that point?
1: No. I mean, in fact, when I first got divorced, I said, I'd like to go buy this little motel in Mexico in <laughs> in this cute little beachy area of Mexico and take the kids and, and teach them Spanish and homeschool yeah. them and do all this. And my husband was like, no, you're not. And I, mm-hmm. I respected that because he's a phenomenal father. And so mm-hmm. he was not comfortable with that. He wanted to be in their life all the time. So I said, okay. I mean, I, I was bummed. But, you know, I knew that I could have, my efforts, I, I could never really make the money. Just it, sound healing wasn't a thing yet. So that was not, I mean, I was playing them, but it was not a trending enough thing yeah. to make money on at that point. So, but I knew that hospitality and my personality and my business sense and my motivation and energy and all of that, that I would be able to take something and blow it up and do something great with it. But that didn't work out. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: when Mitch and I started looking, I said, let's build a sound temple someplace. And when we find the right place, we'll know. And so we went to Tulum, I don't know, four or five, six times, must've looked at 300 houses, didn't like anything. And then finally we rented a house to stay in instead of staying at a hotel. And it was out in the jungle and that was the house we ended up buying.
0: You're kidding. Okay. And you knew it had the cave.
1: We knew there was a cave, but okay. it was a dirty, messy, like hard to get to cave with no water in it or anything. Yeah. Right. And so it's important to know that Tulum is is a really beautiful spiritual place. And That's the reason. reason why is because when the meteor hit the earth, creating the ice age and the dinosaurs went extinct, it hit the Tulum area. And so it's considered to have a vortex of energy from this meteor hitting it. And when that meteor hit, it broke into thousands of pieces all over the Yucatan Peninsula. And each of those pieces hit, creating a sinkhole. And those are the cenotes and the caves. And they are connected to the underground river system, which is the largest underground river system. It's either the largest or the second largest in the world. I think it's the largest though. And this underground river system is amazing. It's like a whole otherworldly thing. So divers come from all over and go through there. And the ancient Mayans that are from the Yucatan like with Chitsunitsa Itza and all that, they did all their sacrifices and stuff. They believe that the cenotes are the are the entrance to the underworld, which is their heaven. Wow! And so, it's a very mystical and spiritual um, thing to have the cenotes. And so, all of the Tulum area and the Yucatan Peninsula has this beautiful, um, you know, cosmic belief system with it. And um, so, you know, that's why there's so many healers that come there. And there's a ton. And there's the good and the bad to Tulum. And I didn't love Tulum and I didn't want to live in town and neither did Mitch. And, you know, we're just like, "Ah," you know, nothing's really fitting. But then we stayed in this house and we're like, why don't we find a place like this? And so it kind of fell in our lap. There's a cave on it. And we thought, wow, it's pretty cool. How many people own a cave? You know, this is a 65 million year old cave. We know that because that's when the meteor hit. And they told us it was a dry cave, meaning the cenote had folded in on itself. So there was no water in it. And I said, well, it's cool enough. We'll be able to do something with ceremonies in there, you know, something at some point, but it wasn't on the top of our list. So we built this, we built the sound temple. Mitch built me an all glass sound temple in the jungle. And we have silk hammocks. So the guests hang in it like they're in a womb or a cocoon. And then I play the alchemy bowls and the planetary gongs and other beautiful sacred instruments. And it opens, the whole place opens to the outside. So you can hear the crickets at night and the jungle birds in the day. It's really beautiful. So we started with that, and people started coming, and then more people started coming. And then the next thing you know, it was coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And I was really frustrated because I was like, okay, God, the divine, whatever you want to call the universe. Um, you told me to come and build this sound temple, and now, look, there's a pandemic. Like <laughs> everything's shutting down the world. Are you? What is happening here? And I knew I just needed to trust. Next thing you know, we were locked down for maybe a month in in Mexico the phone just started ringing like people from all over the world. It was the only country open for travel and everybody was coming to Tulum and everybody was looking for healing in the middle of all this pandemic crisis and hell and everything that was going on. And I just took off. It was just never ending all of the, all of the sound healing. So that that was was really
0: word of mouth is how those people found you.
1: I started, I started a little Instagram account and it it's just been growing rapidly ever since I started it. And then And that's how people find me, honestly. Um, And then I started getting some celebrities and things like that. In the meantime, (laughs) Mitch, his mom died and is the beginning of the pandemic and he's just devastated. And so he went and spent some time in the cave. And as he was in the cave, he was, you know, just really dealing with his grief and spending a lot of time down there. And these birds kept bothering him that were in the cave and he realized that the birds were called tote birds or these Mayan birds. They're really beautiful and they only live where there's cenotes. And so it kept flying in toward the back of the cave and he was like, what is going on here? Long story short, he's led to the back of the cave and he sees this puddle and the puddle he sees with this flashlight and he shines the light down on it. There's a fish that swims by a little tiny one. And he's like, oh my God, we're connected to the underground river system. So, he comes running up. He's like, Joey, come down and see this. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm going to start digging. And I'm like, you're crazy. Now, keep in mind, our house is solar off grid. We can't get equipment down into this cave. Yeah. We do you can't, have a shovel? We don't like... have the electric. <laughs> like, I mean, so, and nothing's really open. It's, it's, we're still in the pandemic. So he somehow gets some jackhammers that are, I mean, we can't even plug in because that would suck all our electricity. Right. So mm-hmm. he gets some jackhammers and he hires a couple men to help and they manually opened up and the, pulled it all out and all the stuff that they pulled out they reused sustainably and built like different levels in the cave and for terraces and things and then he like, made his own concrete on site he polished all the rocks so we could walk on it so it's soft I mean like you've seen the pictures it's absolutely beautiful it's so stunning. once we realized we were going to be using this cave like this even before the work started we we went through ceremony and we called some locals to assist us and and we you know we asked permission of earth and you know the universe of the guardians of the area to allow us to work if we're serving humanity and we just kept doing ceremonies and kept asking for permission and kept doing all of the traditional things that you do when you're building on land like that and so in the end uh, we had a big mud puddle and Mitch was like you know, we, you have to have an inflow and an outflow for it to be a real cenote. Otherwise it's just a puddle. You know, it's like a dirty pond that you made. And he's like, I feel the inflow. I, Cause he could feel the water coming in. He's like, I feel the outflow it's the suction, but you know, we didn't have diving equipment. So he couldn't like, he was holding his breath and going under and feeling and then, and then trying to pick with the axes and the picks and the jackhammer and to open up the area so it could flow. Anyway, he, one morning he comes running up and he's like, you're not going to believe this come down. And it was just, clear crystal clear turquoise water and it was so beautiful and he's and the universe blessed us and I so we at that moment said thank you with so much gratitude for this beautiful not only has it been a healing a healing time for my husband as he's going through this but this was a gift to us because we did not know that it was ever going to be more than a sound temple and now we have this which was enough space. yeah so now we have we have this beautiful space that we need to share and we're, we want to be in service to humanity with it. So we don't allow alcohol in there. We don't allow anything I the, you know, we have all different sound journeys and the cow ceremonies and beautiful Mayan and pre-Hispanic ceremonies that we do. And it's very special and very beautiful and that it has given back. One thousand fold. And because we care for it and we've really tapped into the energy there. Um, it just keeps, you know, It's amazing. Every morning, we decorate for our clients. We use the jungle flowers that are growing these beautiful red flowers. If you look on Instagram, you'll see the palm leaves, these red flowers and candles that are all over for what we do to decorate. And it makes it special for the ceremonies. And we pick the flowers. There'll be no flowers left. I use so many of them. And every day, we wake up, and the flowers are back, and they're bountiful for the next day. The jungle literally gives us back every single day. And sometimes it's 100 flowers we pick. And the next day, no matter what we need, it's been very rare that we haven't had enough flowers to do anything.
0: Wow. That all just sounds so divine and magical. Like you could never have planned that or even pursued that in any way because it's just, it's, it's beyond what you could have ever conceptualized in your own mind, I would imagine. I mean, yeah. I mean, we had no
1: idea. We had no idea. Right. Literally our idea was let's go build a sound temple and we'll just live humbly off that. Okay. And then now we have the cave. And so there's a whole other aspect to it. And now it's become discovered. We have celebrities and influencers. And in fact, this week, on Friday, we have this, we have a huge television production being done there. Now keep in mind, I don't allow anything like that unless it's all about our healing. Mm -hmm. So the center of the show, like the whole purpose of the show is that these people are coming to heal, be healed. And so that's why we're allowing a TV production. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't just do it if it wasn't really about what we're doing. Right. So we've turned away a lot of, we don't rent our cave. We don't do anything like that because we really want to control the usage. This is a really sacred space to us. And so we, we control it that way. Right. Um, Right. So it's, it's very special, but, but because this has blown up so much now we realize And, you know, it's been tight. Like we, we made the shift from ample abundance (laughs) to, okay, this is a risk. We're moving to a foreign country and sinking our money into it. And we're building something that we don't even know if people are going to come. Okay. Now they're coming. Wow. Now we have this other project we didn't think we were going to have to spend money on. Okay. Well, we're doing that and getting rid of a lot more money that we probably should be saving. And then. Um, you know, still living simply, trying to live on a budget, which we've not had to do in a very long time, yeah, right? Yeah, and creating all of this, and then, um, wow, this is taking off now. And so, all these people that are coming, a lot of retreats come to me. So, like, someone who's hosting retreat in Tulum will say, Hey, we'd like this to be our final day, the special days, you know, come for have ceremonies at your place, or and I curate whatever for people. So, it's really special for whatever group, and it's always private. So. I get people from all over and they'll come just to host a retreat and come to us for one or two days. And so um, they're constantly asking us, can we stay there? Do you have any place for us to stay? And so we realized, okay, the universe is clearly opening the door and the pathway for us that we need to build some casitas and have a place for retreats to stay or have a small hotel of like 10 casitas and a little restaurant. And we have like a little, so we can create this beautiful healing space for people And we have so many people that have emailed saying, please let us know if you ever open a little hotel. So I've just been for the last seven years just keeping this list. And I just looked at Mitch like, we don't have enough money to build a hotel. So what are we going to do? And so we decided to come back to Seattle. And we're back in 3D right now because we've been living in 5D, just having this amazing, just working in the healing um, world and Just enjoying and loving every bit of it, but not making enough surplus that I mean, I shouldn't say that we make surplus, but not making enough that we can build out a hotel at this Mm -hmm. point. Right. Mm -hmm. So for what we want to do and how we want to offer it, we made the move back to America, brought our three dogs back, bought a house here and we're renovating it and we're living upstairs in a little it's like a duplex, but it's like an old turn of the century. It's actually really cute next to the park and a block from the beach and we are fixing the whole thing up and then we're going to sell it. And we're going to take that money and go back and build our hotel portion. So we're still living in trust at the moment and risk, Mm -hmm. but I, I don't think in those terms, I think in terms more of, it's just going to work. I mean, I I think in terms of trust, I don't, I don't think in terms of the risk, but in reality, that's what it is. Um, Right.
0: Right. Does it feel, do you feel fear ever through that when you're budgeting and you realize that you're having to put out more money than maybe you're prepared for at that point? Like, do you feel that sense of fear or is it really, I would say trust.
1: I have deep rooted trust and yes, fear creeps in. I'm not going to fib about that, but my husband, yes, has a lot more fear than I do. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he's really, he does not love feeling like this. Um, Mm -hmm. That said, it's, it seems to be working its way out and we, the light is at the end of the tunnel. We are like two, three months away from this being done at this point and wow. then going back and starting our final stage in our yeah. property and things are seeming to align for us. And you always know when flow is about to happen because start, stuff starts aligning, right? And yep. I, um, I, I know it's going to work out. I have no doubt. And I know that Mitch knows it's going to work out. It's just a little scary to be he just turned 59. He's like, I'm tired. I can't, he's grinding right now. He's got six jobs going. He had to open up another remodel companies, design companies so that he could be working on houses so we could have money to do this job. Right. So mm-hmm. we've been here a year and a half and it's a grind. And then the, the economy flipped and inflation and, you know, just all sorts of good stuff. Right. Um. So did we hit the market at the right time? No. Permits took too long and things like that. So Unfortunately, we were delayed, but it's all working out because there's been a lot of really beautiful things that have taken place. And if we would have been done by now when we thought we would, we would have missed out on that. So it's all it's
0: all aligning and working out and
1: it will work out the way it's supposed to. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you have seen evidence of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I I have a question, actually two questions about like the business of spirituality. And my first is how do you kind of balance what you just described living in 5d and being surrounded by healers and really like tapping into the vortex and every day moving through these ceremonies, you have soundbass, you have cacao ceremonies. I mean, you're surrounded by sage and nature and plants. And (laughs) then also you're running a business and that's very 3d. And like right now you're, you're moving back to Seattle to flip this house and build a surplus of money. And I know that you have well, a good understanding mind, of the energetic. So how, do you, I how am, do you balance those two?
1: I've been moving. I've been spending most of my time in Mexico and Mitch has been here. And then I, I've been going back and forth. So that's mm. been really hard, right? Talk about, I mean, I, what you just said is so real. I am like living in flow. Life is great. I'm working in service. And then I have an angry husband because <laughs> he's here alone and he's got, he's handling all the dogs and he's got the financial burden on his shoulders, but I'm trying to build the business back in Mexico because it's taken off like fireworks. Right. And, and I have to keep that going and keep it building and it's always evolving. And then, and you know, I'll obviously have to show face because I'm the face of that business. And so I'm there. Plus I'm handling, helping Mitch with his construction business because I help with the books and doing all of the business side of things. He's the hard worker that's out there doing it, but I'm helping with the contracts and all that. And then advertising and marketing and then I'm handling this construction job and the design and, and the money part of this one here that yeah. I'm living in, not to mention I have a real estate company and then real yeah. estate's been on the, on the poops lately. Right. Because it's just, you know, it's starting to adjust now and it's picking up, but we've had a really slow go. And so agents are freaking out and, you know, all the stuff that always happens. It's not my first rodeo, so I don't freak out and I trust, and I know it's happening. And now all of a sudden phone's ringing again and things are happening, but, yeah. um, yeah you know, it is hard. It's hard to go from 5D to 3D. And if listeners don't understand that, because that's the weird spiritual jargon, I understand. It's when you can tap out of the rat race and you can be in this, you know, consciously connected space where you know, you're working in alignment with your purpose. And you are, I, you know, I leave the jungle and then you just get to the airport is like a whole other vibration. And then you land in Seattle and it's like, I get this heaviness that hits me and I realize, okay, now I have to focus on, on this other part, but yet I'm still running Mexico because I'm the one that's taking all the bookings and handling it all and, you know, controlling all of that. So it, no matter where I am, I'm handling one at the other place. So it'll be really nice when it can just be 100% back in, in Mexico. Yeah. I also lead retreats and I have one that I'm really well known for to Egypt. And it's a two week initiation, like initiatory pilgrimage. And I just got done November, December doing that over two weeks. And it was so popular on this one that I have a full group going again. So I'm leaving in September to do that. So I'm also managing all of that on top of all this. So I do wear like 40,000 hats and it's been a lot. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I would, it'll be nice just to be back in in the jungle with my husband and our dogs and, be building it out. Mitch loves the the work part of it. He loves the creativity that he's allowed in Mexico that we aren't allowed in America. like mm-hmm. his his spirituality comes out through his hands and his creativity. So that's his divineness that comes out in him. and so he loves to create and build and that cave is is like his gallery. Yeah. That's really his it's a beautiful, a beautiful showing of his heart, honestly. Yeah. Um, so that being said, it is hard to jump back and forth from between the two. And I would say that mindfulness and practice has been a huge part of it. Like I meditate every single day, no matter where I am. And if I miss it, then it, it's hard. You feel you know, it. to yeah, I feel it. Everyone feels it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also just really surround myself with incense and, and herbs and, essential oils and crystals and I live I try never to leave that no matter where I am right? right because that helps me stay centered and balanced and I have a set of bowls here so I play them here and mm-hmm. um so and I do that for free for my friends just because that's I still want to be in service and it doesn't mean it makes money
0: yeah yeah that and that takes work specific like you actually have to take action to to bring that into your life and maintain that balance or that vibration where you feel and the most you. There's,
1: an, there's an adjustment I mean when I get back when I, I've been flying back and forth I'm gone for two months and I'm back here for three weeks then I leave again for two months or maybe a month or whatever it is and I come back when I come back to Seattle it's a it's an obvious frequency and vibrational difference and
0: <laughs> and I get
1: real I get real grumpy I mean it's not it's not not that I'm trying to be grumpy it's just really hard to res to change my resonance when I'm when I'm back. And it's not, I'm not blaming that on Seattle. I love Seattle. It's just Mm -hmm. that I've been working in a very different kind of, uh, frequency (laughs) dimension, so to speak. Right. And then I come back and it's like, okay, I'm back now. I'm just here to grind in a different way.
0: I get that. Yeah. So my other question about the business of spirituality is how do people differentiate between what's authentic and what is, you know, maybe a false guru or, you know, people throw labels on themselves, I think very liberally, especially in environments like Tulum. First of all, how do you deal with that living there and being so authentic yourself? And then how do people identify that? How do they really tap into the, the genuine channeled beautiful ceremonies that you're putting on and identify those, connect with those versus gimmicks?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Let me think how to answer that.
0: First of all,
1: anybody with intent, beautiful, pure intent is doing it, right? Because in the end, it's your energy is coming from your intention. And so I, I don't think that people have to necessarily go to school or have a degree in healing or even have shamanic studies if they're with all their heart trying and they're working with their energy to heal somebody and work with them I think that's beautiful now that to me is authentic now when it starts getting messy is is I think that you feel for me when I go in and hire someone to do some work on me I don't just hire anyone by the way I like people to ask me first, if they, if it's okay to work with my energy. So that's usually my first telltale sign if someone doesn't now, not always is that necessary, but in most healing situations, if you're working one-on-one with someone and it's going to be pretty intensive, I like them to ask because that's, I then allow my higher self to give that permission to work with their higher self. And I feel like that's a deeper connection. If someone's not asking that, that sometimes is concerning to me. Um, I always go with my intuition I think your intuition is the biggest, the biggest indicator of, of what's happening. If you feel like they're not being authentic and you feel like this is just kind of a quacky situation, then that's what it is. Look at their heart. Let your heart feel their heart. And have a conversation with someone before you hire them. You don't come to a sound bath to be healed immediately by something. What a sound bath does is we're working with your frequencies and your vibrate. You're working. We're working with you through frequency and vibration on the like your cellular makeup, your DNA makeup. You're made up mostly of water. We know that water is affected by frequency and vibration. We know that music and sound is obviously going to be carrying that. So when we're doing a sound bath, you come to relax, to rebalance, to restore, to align. It's, you don't even need to know what's going on. We're doing that for you. Right. And so a lot of people come and they have these massive, like first time ever third eye opening, amazing cosmic connection, things that happen. Sure. That happens sometimes. Sometimes people just come and start snoring and they're yeah. asleep, but that, you know, husband comes with a wife, he's being drugged to it. And he's like, wow, that was amazing. But all he did was sleep the whole time, but it's okay because we're working on you and your etheric fields and your energy bodies right. are being affected by that. So right. It doesn't need to be an aha moment. It it just can be a relaxing, rebalance, restore. And you
0: can't Uh, always explain it, and you don't always have to explain it. But things happen that you might not ever be aware of, and there could be shifts underlying. Exactly.
1: Exactly. But I would say that 98% of the people come in and are like, wow, I can feel it. Like some people come to our property and start crying just when oh, they get bet. out of the car, some Ugh. people start crying in the tea house where we meet and greet. Some people are at the temples. There's crying. doesn't matter. Some people are like, I can't stop crying. I don't know what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't have that answer, but intuitively I do. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this is what it is or not, but I intuit that. You are in town or from the airport or coming from home and you're on vacation. Maybe this is day one, whatever day it is. You're still reeling from your life that you have wherever you are and you're in that vibration. You're trying to settle down. And then all of a sudden you walk in, you come, you arrive into our space, which is a very high frequency of vibration and a very calm, tranquil space and they come in and all of a sudden they hit with that and they they need their their vibration and frequency is raising at that moment and they're trying to resonate with it and it's uncomfortable and so all of a sudden they're brought to tears emotionally wow. because they're like, oh I'm not I'm not comfortable here for a moment what what is happening to me and then it kind of equals out and then they're like I mean every time that's so interesting they're just like this was the most amazing thing that's happened. I mean it was so beautiful today thank you i mean we're told this daily and so is everyone crying? No, but we have a lot of criers. A lot of people come and they can't. I would,
0: I would probably they,
1: cry. Yeah. <laughs> and it's beautiful. We just let, we let, we want it to happen because yeah. that's a, a recalibration really is what's happening yeah. right there. So.
0: Wow.
1: Um, oh, yeah. It's so, so it's all, it all works
0: out. <laughs> so incredible. Well, I want to ask one final question, but from a different angle so, or a couple of different angles. So, Basically, what I'm saying is if you're to look back on on your life and um, or somebody who was in your position 20 years ago, 30 years ago, kind of what advice would you give to them or from a different angle, one of those guests that you have that comes and visits your property and they start crying because they're reeling from their life. What kind of advice would you give that person to shift into a life that is more in alignment with their authentic, genuine selves that feels better. What would you tell somebody who hasn't made those shifts yet, but knows that they need to and is kind of desperate to find some sort of solution to their lifestyle that doesn't feel good?
1: Yeah, I I actually get this question a lot. Um, I don't think there is an answer because, and I don't mean to frustrate you with this answer, but I can't tell somebody to step out of the rat race and to slow down because they have to make that decision themselves. Right. But I will, I will guide people by giving what I think is sage advice is does this feel good to you right now? If it does, then do more of it. Right. Because each time you do something, whether it's sound healing, whether it's, you know, doing a Reiki treatment, whether it's doing a meditation, whatever that is, that's working for you in whatever facet, because those are all like door openers to spirituality, right? Those are all like little baby steps into a more profound um, awakening, and it's like read the books, watch the documentaries, listen to other people, make you know, hang out in more of these groups, drink some more cacao, whatever it is that you're doing that you're enjoying doing. You, it's every time light is shining into your heart, and more of you is opening up to that. And so it's always like live free of judgment, you know, because sometimes we get a wife that'll drag their husband and they're just like, Oh my God, what is she making me do right now? You know? And it's like, we ask you, and I always stop right there. And I say, we just ask you to be free of judgment and come here to receive coming into this open heart space and just enjoy that. You don't have to do anything, but just receive today. And then I always like settles them a little bit as they come in. And I just say that to anyone in this place, in their place in life, whoever you are, myself included, you know, trust that if it feels good, then you're in the right direction and when the time is right to make that jump if that's what it is for you because that might not be their journey it might be that they need to stay in the rat race because that's their karmic path that they're on i can't tell someone to stop doing that you know my son is a great example of this i raised my kids in a very spiritual household we banged the shaman drum when they were fighting and had to have their moment with the talking <laughs> stick i mean you know like we worked with plant medicines together we you know i've journeyed mushrooms with my children we've we have we have a very I mean, they're, by the way, they're phenomenal humans. They're outrageously successful and amazing adults. I put forth incredible humans into this world. They're not, they are, they are in service in every way. They're amazing. But my son is a businessman. He works for a $45 billion company, works in mergers and acquisitions. He is a VP at 25. He speaks multiple languages. He's an incredible human. Um, And he's like, mom, when I need you, I will come to Tulum and I'll come and have my moments and I need a sound bath. And sometimes, you know, we'll do a meditation together and a clearing when he's like waiting for grad school to see which one he's getting into and he's stressed, you know, we'll, we'll do a a focus meditation on it or a visual meditation. We'll go through it or, you know, he'll call me when he needs those moments, but he doesn't want to be inundated with it. And actually Jackson is the most connected consciously out of all of us. He's actually the most gifted and could probably go be a healer, but he's in his mind needs to be the husband, the the guy that's going to get married and have kids. And he's going to be the CEO of a company and he's going to do all the things he thinks he needs to do. And I can't tell him not to do that because I'm just going to be proud of him and be his cheerleader. And maybe someday he'll realize that isn't his road and path that he's on, or maybe he won't. And that's his journey right now, right? I can't tell him not to do that. So would I love to say, come live with me in Tulum and just, come meet some sweet little hippie girl and have a great time and you'll just be fine. Don't worry. I mean, actually I probably wouldn't say that to him because really he's doing what he's meant to do right now. And my daughter is a little different. She's made the shift from corporate America to um, she's got her own clinic and practice as an acupuncturist and um, herbal medicine practitioner and a functional medicine practitioner. So she's definitely living in a different world with moving energy and things like that. Um, But my son is like, mom, I can't be sidetracked right now. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to do this. So that's great. And I'm happy for him because that's what makes him happy. And so I I never feel like I can tell somebody if this is a long answer, I'm sorry, but I never feel like I can tell somebody to get out of the rat race. Um, yeah. because that has to be their decision, right? It has to be their calling. And even if they don't know that they should do that and I'm looking at, them like, oh my God, you're miserable right now, but that's mm-hmm. not my place to tell you. So yeah. Um,
0: and sometimes so. there's still lessons to be learned. I mean, I, I love the picture that you painted in my mind. I just keep seeing this huge full circle for you that now you're building out a hotel on your property when coming out of your divorce, what you yes. to do was move to Mexico and buy a motel and build out a beautiful hotel, but it wasn't the right timing.
1: Yeah. Isn't that funny how that happens? Yes. yes. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, that coincidence is not going to yeah. notice with me. Like, I didn't yeah. start out to do that. But in the end, it has come full circle, and I recognize that. So, yeah.
0: and I think that timing's everything. But patience can be so hard because everything seems so urgent, especially when you're living in a place with a faster pace of life like this. You think time's ticking away. I need to figure this out, find my purpose, all yeah. <laughs> all of that. But there is, I do believe in divine timing, even though sometimes it's very hard to just sit back and allow it to unfold.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. This has been fascinating. I honestly could talk to you for hours. I have a million more questions, but <laughs> maybe we'll have to save that for another episode. We could go
1: have coffee or
0: something. Yes, be really I would fun. love yes. to. I would love to. Maybe cacao. I wonder yes, if there's a place Yes, I know.
1: I could, I could try to whip some up and bring it. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, that'd be so fun. I would love
0: that. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing everything you did. And I hope that we get to speak again on the podcast and have you back. Okay, thank you so much, Joey. Mm-hmm. You're welcome.